Are we recording? <laughs> oh yeah! It's like <laughs> a year from now. <laughs> Macho. Oh man, that's Vincy. I like that my kids know that I'm healthy and strong and fit, and that their mom is healthy and strong and fit. Going, okay, I can still get better without having to do a max effort every single day. Smashing yourself on the roller for uh, an hour, right? you're good by the next day, as long as you had a, a sandwich and a net. All right, so today's episode, we will build on our last episode. Uh, so we introduced the concept of smoothness um, <clears throat> and kind of what that looks like over, um, I guess, over over the age, over age from youth to adulthood senior. We gave some little uh, discussions about how fatigue may affect this um, and obviously how practice influences smoothness. Um, I can't remember offhand if we mentioned it in the last podcast um but uh, like w- i guess one synonym for smoothness is complexity um because smoothness is what you would see but complexity is what you're going to measure and how would you measure complexity and what if what affects complexity so before we get into that we have to well, one of the most important aspects um affecting complexity is intensity of effort uh, when, when we're talking about like um, an acute situation, so we're not talking about over years and years of work or someone learning a skill and, and getting better at it that way, we're talking about in the mo- like moment by moment effort. So as you perform your tenth, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth bar muscle up in a row, why do things seem to change, and why do things seem to change outside of your control? Um, and yeah, so critical torque is an, is an, a necessary introduction to that. And which we, I believe you mentioned in our last podcast, um, like in it, it, like if you had listened to our earlier podcast in 2020, um, you would have heard the term critical torque. So this this topic of smoothness is basically an outgrowth of uh, of our learning of the power duration relationship. So what is critical torque? Very quickly, uh, it's a significant neuromuscular uh, threshold, not so much a threshold, more of like a phase transition. So. Um, it just means that's like once you go above the critical torque, it's not a sudden shift. It's a gradual change over a basically over like a standard deviation of force outputs, like a small standard deviation. Think like plus or minus two or three or four or five percent. Um, and really, what it, what the significance of the critical torque is 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 akin to the critical power, critical speed. It's the it's basically the boundary of sustainable versus non-sustainable metabolic activity. So, uh, in a couple of papers, I can't remember the, I can never pronounce this guy's name. Is his name, is it like uh, Pethick or Pettick? You remember Jamie Pettick? He's always the first author on these papers with Dr. Mark Burnley. Um, yeah, and they do a lot of research about critical torque and, um, and how different intensities of, of force output will affect complexity. So, first, what is complexity? Um and again, we're, tr- we're, we're almost synonymous, synonymously using complexity as a synonym for smoothness because smoothness is what you see generally. Complexity is what you're going to measure. So complexity is basically like um, it, it's, a, it's a constant in, in basically every biological system you're gonna, you're, you, that you would know of. So uh, you think of the endocrine system, you think of the respiratory system, 
you think of the cardiovascular system, both in terms of the structure and then also in terms of the function. So a common term someone would, uh, like, so related to this complexity in terms of a biological system, um, probably the most popular term people would have heard of would be HRV, and it's just a measure of heart rate variability. And what they're doing there, um, they've, they're using statistical measurements to try to, dis- to try to discover the complexity of the heart rate signal um, because it's not just a simple one two one two one two signal it's a very complex uh, measurement and heart rate, vari- heart rate variability is trying to measure uh, the complexity of that time series of beats so how many beats right now right now right now right now um, <clears throat> the time between the beats etc and why does that even matter if you measure complexity uh, so similar to how we would have said earlier with uh, youth, adulthood, and, and seniors in terms of smoothness of movement, basically, again, how, is it, how it increases from youth to adulthood and decreases from adulthood to senior. And again, again pick your skill, what you're thinking about. Uh, adulthood is probably going to be the peak of your performance. <clears throat> the same is true of heart rate variability. So as you age over a lifetime, you're going to reduce, uh, you know, your heart rate variability is likely going to, uh, is going to decrease. Um, and to go off on a little more of a tangent there, like w- one of the things that's really, uh, really apparent with that is when you have people in disease states. So you have someone with cardiovascular disease, coronary heart disease, um, have suffered certain types of strokes. You'll notice that like in some of the research would point to that heart rate variability can be uh, a measure um, or, or a pr- maybe what they're trying to really get at is a preliminary indicator that there's something really wrong um, because the biological system goes from being complex to becoming less complex. And that's measured through HRV potentially. Um, And heart rate is just one example. Uh, Another example is what we're talking about here is uh, basically if you measure force output. So, and a lot of the times when you do critical torque research, it's literally just a knee extension. So just imagine you're seated on a a chair and your leg is kind of uh, mounted into this structure and you just have to push against a force pad as hard as you can. So when you push against that force pad, um, if they want you to push, let's just say, 100 pounds, it's never going to be 100 pounds. It might sometimes be 100 pounds, but it's, most, it's going to gravitate around 100 pounds of force you're putting in there. <clears throat> and these machines can measure how accurate you are on the 100, on the 100 pounds of force because that's what they're asking you to do. And as, again, to a really quick example, as you move from 25 years old to 85 years old, your ability to be accurate in that force is going to be, is going to decrease as you go from 25 to 85 years old. So you won't be able to you won't be able to accurately hit 100 pounds over and over and over and over. So, um, any additional aspects to what the hell complexity is? That was just a really quick and dirty introduction. Let me talk about the force <clears throat> variability. Yeah, we can. Yeah, because that's basically what complexity is, right? Yeah. So yeah. So I guess I didn't mention that. Well, I, I sorry, I didn't really fully introduce that. So again, you go back to the example of someone on that knee extension. They're trying to hit 100, hit 100 pounds. They can measure. Um, the machines can measure basically your force output in a certain time series, and they and it'll, it'll just draw a line over time as to how how much you gravitate around that 100 pound uh, force output that you're required to have. And basically, the line will look very like it'll look very noisy is what they'll say, right? It'll look very noisy. Um, but 
generally someone who's younger will have a smaller standard deviation around that 100 pounds of force. Someone who's older will have a larger standard deviation. It just speaks to the fact that they can't be accurate with their force output. So that would mean like someone who's older or fatigued or unpracticed mm -hmm. would have a, a, a force production of like 120 to 180 <laughs> back and forth and it would kind of be well, 100. If, yeah, if 100 was, yeah, if 100 was the goal, it would mean 120 to 80 back and forth. Yeah. 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 So, and, and that's, and that's, that's the, uh, and, and so when I, the, the example I used earlier with heart rate or the cardiovascular system or respiratory system, whatever, they're just different examples of biological systems that are complex in nature. And when you measure this complexity, this is the things you come up with. Uh, and one of the things in terms of the neuromuscular system is measuring force output. Um, <clears throat> and so when you have a when you have a neuromuscular system that has a large amount of complexity, so there's a lot of a lot of information going through it. In again, just very quickly, in, in a younger individual, um, the, w w basically one of the outputs of a system like that um, is in what we're trying to talk about here is the smoothness aspect of it. And this is a really, really, uh, I guess, minutia example of trying to hit 100 pounds on a force uh, on a knee extension machine. Um, but again, when you measure the, when you, if they were to measure these little force outputs, the force output is a very, is very complex in nature. So it's highly variable, but it's in terms of, in terms of the way the graph would look, but there's a very low standard deviation, meaning it's very accurate. And that's the behavior of a very complex system. And so what the point of this is, is really like, and this is, this is the leap of faith aspect, right? Is that there's research, um, on the far ends of this, right, to, to try to, to try to get at the point of smoothness. So if you're able to measure complexity, uh, and we'll, we will come back to this in a second, if you're able to measure complexity um, of just movement, right, on the one far, far end, you have lab measurements, which are, again, someone stuck in a machine, either with their fingers or their forearm or their uh, bicep or knee extensor in the example we're given here. And some people, it's like, there's a bunch of other examples. Uh, that's a very isolated, uh, very local examination of force output, right? On the very other end, right, you, which I don't believe we mentioned last time, but you have, um, you, you think of the whole body in a disease state. So one of the examples we would give is Parkinson's. So what happens when you have a disease like that and your inability to accurately control your limbs, right, in a, in a smooth fashion is what people would call a smooth movement. Um, and one of the examples that people would give is that th that's what happens when you have a neuromuscular system that 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 basically has a that it's degrading, right? So the output of its force, the, so the force output is innately going to be highly variable because it's going to be inaccurate. Sorry, it's inaccurate and it, and it's highly variable. That's what you're going to see. And what that produces itself as is erratic, jerky movements, which is, which are not smooth. And when you measure it in terms of the complexity aspect, if you're to measure force output, it's very non-complex. Okay, so what that means is that like the force outputs or the force signals become more and more predictable, but also highly variable, like extremely variable, to the point where you get these jerky movements. So, what, what so again, just to, we go from the very one extreme of measuring your knee extensors uh, in an isometric movement to the very other end of someone in a, in um, someone that's unfortunately in a, in a disease state like Parkinson's. Yeah, so then this thought experiment, if you have someone doing a knee extensor isometric hold at 100 pounds, yeah. let's say that's above critical torque. This is, yeah, we got to go back to that. Yeah, so if that's above critical torque, um, 
eventually you would see someone start to shake to hold that 100 pounds before failure. So it doesn't go from being able to do it to just not being able to do it. Yeah. There's a breakdown in the complexity of that, of that, not even movement, that's that, that contraction. Just think of it in the force output, right? Yeah, force output. There'd Which be, is what's being measured. So that person would start to shake before being able to, and then they'd have to stop. Yeah, potentially, and this is, and, and the reason I give those two examples, and there are other examples of um, of people doing like a, a, th- a two mile run, and they have accelerometers around their mid midsection at different points, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to assess the complexity of the f- uh, basically of the tra- of the trajectory <clears throat> of their center of mass as they're running in the first one k versus the second k versus the last k type of thing, right? And again, what they measure, what they end up seeing, right, is they see l- more and more constrained movement variability, which means that they're they're basically the movement solutions they have available to them to finish that run is becoming more and more constrained, which means there's less and less complexity in the neuromuscular system because there's less of there's less options for it to to do what it's trying to do, so it becomes a little more jagged and a little more jerky and a little less smooth. Okay, so it's a little it's a complicated topic, obviously. Um, but the reason, but so complexity is again what where we're trying to measure. You're trying to measure the force output of the neuromuscular system. And the examples we'd given two extreme examples, right? Obviously Parkinson's and then a knee extension. <clears throat> so what? So how would you even measure complexity, right? So they have these. This is where uh, this is where it gets extremely <laughs> complex. But we're not going to go into it at all. We're just going to give you the names. Um, two of the measures over time, uh, over decades of research that these people have come up with, uh, is um, is they measure something called approximate entropy, which you think of is the irregularity of a signal. And so, just uh, very quickly, so like if if a signal is irregular, it becomes unpredictable. Um, but and the reason that's important is because you can have you basically can have a force output that has the exact same standard deviation as another one but it can be highly unpredictable. <clears throat> so what I mean by, in the, I remember the example I used last time, you guys, imagine you had a number series that went 0, 1, 0, 1, 0, 1, 0, 1. If I said 0, you're probably going to go, well, the next number is 1. And if I say 1, you're going to go, well, the next one's 0. Versus if you go 0, 0, 0, 1, 1, 1, 0, now you're like, I'm, now what's the next one, right? So but then you, if you average this out over 10 numbers, it ends up with the same standard deviation, but the unpredictability of the output is different. So it's by nature more complex. Or not more complex, more unpredictable. Um, or more irregular, sorry. The other one is called fractals. Um, and it's where they, they literally just measure, they have a graph. And the way that this, the way it makes sense for you, right, is you think of like, um, just start with like thinking like, a, if you think like a tree. If you look at the tree as a whole, right, it has this image. If you rip a branch off the tree, it kind of resembles the whole tree on a whole. If you rip, rip off a smaller section of that branch, the smaller branch rep- like kind of represents the bigger branch, which kind of also represents the whole tree, right? That's what fractals are. Because, so it's basically, it has this innate complexity to it, to its structure. Um, and there's tons of other examples, but that's a really quick one. Another, like lots of them are in terms of your nervous system, your cardiovascular system. Think of like your respiratory system. So you have one tube comes down, breaks off into two. If you go into one of the lobes of your lungs, what happens again? It breaks off again into two, and it breaks off again into two, and breaks up, keeps breaking off, branching, 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 branching. But if you took like a really small scale look at it, you'd go, you could then blow it up and go, wow, it looks really similar. 
on the big scale even on, versus the small scale. So that's the fractal nature of the complexity of a neuromuscular structure, or sorry, the, the respiratory structure. Um, and what we're talking about here is the complexity of the force output of a neuromuscular system and how they measure it, again, with those fractals or approximate entropy. And what they're talking about is the way that this graph looks when they measure force output over time and what that little line does. So you have to imagine it's like drawing a line over the course of two or three or four minutes and measuring the, like, not even second by second, like millisecond by millisecond force output of your, of your knee extensors against that pad. And then, yeah, so that's, I hope that's a better explanation or just maybe makes it a little bit more in depth. <laughs> okay, so that's really clear. The, the, the simple version. Yeah, but that's, but that's quick and dirty overview. Yeah. I'm sure while you're reading up on this over Christmas, you'll be a, uh, but that's a common, that's a common word you're going to hear about. Uh, if you did read it is like detrended fluctuational analysis or something just called fractals and then uh, measurements of entropy. So again, why does it like what we're really uh, we want you to th go back to thinking about that what I mentioned earlier about doing a bar muscle up. So again, what ends up happening on rep one and two and three, and how you go around the bar and go up and and how you pull and how you move versus as you you're nearing the end of your movement, and you know things are changing and things feel different to you. And if someone's watching you, they it looks different as well. Or again, you're doing a handstand walk, and the most you can go unbroken on your hands is 100 feet. Like how does the handstand walk uh, look from zero to 20 feet versus from 80 to 100 feet? Like what does it look like to someone watching? Um, and it's like it, it's it's very intuitive, right? You're like, well, it's going to look different. Yeah, but why is it going to look different? Like why does fatigue cause your movement to go to shit? Like why is that, right? And it's really obvious in CrossFit stuff. It's less obvious in, in more classical endurance modalities, right? Like running, rowing, and cycling. Like the only time you really notice, you're like, well – that guy's dead. <laughs> it's like, oh shit. Like it goes from, I can't really tell much of a difference because you're not, a tu you're not that uh, astute at looking at it, I guess, to the person collapse on the ground. Like that's, that's the level of fatigue there. Um, but in CrossFit, it would be very easy to see in many circumstances. And it, it's, this is not just the only reason as to why someone would be looking a certain way during a movement or why someone would miss a lift or something like that. Like that's, that's not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons. Um, and again, so how this, how the critical torque aspect comes into this. So let's go back to that uh, knee extension example. So if we have Jason doing uh, a knee extension uh, test, again, he's, we've bought this $100,000 machine. We actually haven't, don't come look for it. Um, <clears throat> and we're able to measure. It's just Scott holding the pad. <laughs> <laughs> it's Scott guessing. <laughs> It's like Steve Ur It's like Steve Urkel. That's ah, probably one on one. About eighty nine. Just what? That's where you write how fast you think you're going. Do you remember that from Family Matters? Oh my God, that's so good. Anyway, back to the show. Okay, so if we're able to measure, um, if we were to establish what Jason's critical torque is, and very quickly, the way you would do that on a knee extension machine is oddly similar to how they would do it um, to what you would do with a bike. So if you measure, remember some of our previous podcasts where they would just do a three-minute all-out bike test as one simple field test of critical power, you could do a similar version on a knee extension machine. And again, it's isometric, so your leg doesn't budge. Um, and what it is is you, you, 
you push against the pads as hard as you possibly can for six seconds and you rest for four seconds and you do that over and over and over for a total of uh what is it 30 i think it's 30 total reps so five minutes <clears throat> and the, the key is for every si every six seconds you have to push as hard as you possibly can and if you look at the force output of the graph just on a gross scale it's going to go from really high to towards the four four and five minute mark it's going to level out and it's going to look really flat um and again the concept of the power duration thing is once the w prime is gone um then all you can do is work at that critical rate, which in this case is critical torque. So the force op the highest force op you can have is the critical torque. And that's where you get that kind of, they call it the asymptote, so it's just kind of a flat line. So whatever we're able to come up with what that measure is at the five-minute mark, let's say it's just go back to the 100 pounds. Let's say it's 100 pounds for Jason. And now we have Jason come back a week later, and he's in a fresh state. Um... So, and now we're like, okay, Jason, I want you to, we're going to do this same exact thing. Six seconds of work, four seconds of rest. And we want you to hit 90 pounds, so 90%, um, 90% of the critical torque. So we want you to hit 90 pounds. Um, and what's going to be happening is that Jason, if we're saying, we want, Jason, want you to do this for 10 minutes. Six seconds of work, four minutes, four seconds of rest for 10 minutes. What you'll end up seeing, uh, and what they've shown over and over and over, is that the accuracy of Jason's force output with the 90 pounds is going to be very high. So his standard deviation of force output is going to be high from start to finish. Uh, sorry, standard deviation will be very low because his force accuracy is going to be very high. For again, from point zero to the end. Um, and if they were to measure the force output signature um, of these little six seconds of contractions, they're going to be highly complex in nature from start to finish. So basically what they're saying is that from time zero to time 10, there was no reduction in force output complexity. Just meaning that the neuromuscular system was not extremely fatigued or there wasn't a real big depletion of energy reserve. And what you see that as is when they measure it on, an, on this little force output profile is a very complex looking uh, uh, force output signature. Now, if we had the same thing and we go, okay, Jason, we want you to do 110% of the critical torque, he, won't, he probably wouldn't be able to make it 10 minutes, but let's just say we want him to go for 10 minutes. What you'll end up seeing is uh, from the beginning to task failure, you're going to see a continual reduction in the force output complexity. So basically, the graph is going to become much more variable in terms of his force output because he can no longer accurately hit the force output target. Um, and also, the force variability is going to be very high, but again, when you measure that force output graph, it's going to be have a very low complexity to it. And we, should, we'll, we can probably just post a couple pictures um, for the one or two people that listen to this, just so you can visualize what we're talking about, because they look extremely different when you, when, you see a, when you see a force output graph from a fresh uh, neuromuscular system versus one that is extremely fatigued and therefore has a low amount of complexity. So that's, so again, when you, like in, in that, what I was saying, uh, what I was just mentioning is that this is, this is basically thought to be an exclusively associated with critical torque in that, uh, and potentially critical power, critical speed, because you can probably feel it when you're doing it. Um, <clears throat> but these types of, th this type of reduction in neuromuscular uh, complexity is only, is only occurs above these thresholds or above these phase transitions. So if, you, if we ask Jason to go for like 30 minutes at maybe a slightly lower weight, like 80 pounds, 
it's going to it's going to be the same thing and they've done this where there's not going to be any change because his neuromuscular system is not that fatigued and therefore it 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 retains its complexity and therefore it, it just it's more adaptable to what jason's asking it to do when he asks for 80 it can give 80 versus so, a very fatigue a very once you're at a point of extreme fatigue you ask for 80 it can only do 82 or 78 or all around like it just it just can't it, it so just the accuracy and the control is severely uh, compromised. And then the opposite would be true. The higher above critical torque it is, the sooner the fatigue sets in, neuromuscular fatigue, and then the greater the breakdown of complexity. Yes. It, so it, instead of it being, I can do five minutes at 110, now I could, if I had to do 150, it would be two minutes of that. Yeah. And then it would just go all the shit. Yeah. Um, any quick interject interjections there before we any comments now? Okay, so um, <clears throat> and just again, so the the way you're going to reduce force output complexity or neuromuscular complexity is by working continuously above the critical torque. And what you would have mentioned before in CrossFit, a lot of these movements, basically almost all of them that aren't monostructural in nature, are all above the critical torque power speed. They're all they're all above that, which is again why you take breaks. Uh, you're taking breaks because you know it's unsustainable. Um, and again, it, it, when you're performing these movements, you know yourself. These movements don't go from, wow, this feels great, to now I'm, I look the exact same, but I'm just more tired. It's No, it goes from, wow, this, looks, this feels great, to I'm really tired and I'm getting really sloppy. Um, and the point of it is, is that the, like for some for some people they'll be able to resist this a lot more their neuromuscular systems are much are, are much more trained and they're much more practiced and skilled in the movements so again when Matt Frazier gets towards the very very end uh, it's not going to look that much worse than his beginning one but it's going to look worse it's not going to look the same it wouldn't be the same time it, it's just if you just if you were to measure things accurately it wouldn't be the same it can't be the same but for people who are lower level, it becomes much more obvious. So again, you watch someone who's a beginner on round one of DT versus round five. And it's just like, it's a yard sale. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. This oh, and, is... the, and the difference, yeah. the, it would look different sooner too. Yeah, to it would look different earlier, sooner, right? right? Yeah. Um, but again, because all these movements, that deadlift at 155, that hang power clean, that push jerk, every one of those repetitions is above the critical torque for that specific movement. It It's guaranteed to be. Um, and again, once that once those muscles accumulate a certain amount of fatigue, you're going to noticeably see a change in the smoothness, which is potentially, and we have to say potentially because we are reaching here because there's no exact research on this, but potentially it's a measure of the reduction in the complexity of the force output of the system because it can no longer accurately adjust to what you're asking it to do. Okay? So like what you're, what you're what what you want in a highly complex system in a really trained athlete is the neuromuscular system can predict what's going to happen and then it can make plans and it can do what you're asking it to do because the prediction was accurate so then the output is accurate as you become fatigued the prediction becomes it gets reduced so the, the accuracy of the prediction is compromised and therefore the output is compromised and this cycle feeds itself over and over and over and over and over um, and there's obviously some other there's a lot more things that go along with what happens to a neuromuscular system as you approach fatigue and failure but one of the one of the things that a coach can easily tell is it looks different, right? And that might be your best indication of the, of the current state of the fatigue of the athlete. Besides asking them, is you can see it in them. And it, again, because it's something that they cannot control, 
you, you, you likely cannot change this fact once you're at a certain level of fatigue. You can't go back to it looking like rep one. It's going to always look like the next rep. It's going to be somewhat compromised. And that's just the nature of it. And then the goal is to how do you how do you train yourself to get to a point where you push that off as much as possible and then you try to kind of head it off ahead of time. So before you get to that point, how do you kind of change directions or how do you appropriately pace yourself um, to try to basically have this, like to kind of make this like a, this little trade off of, okay, how, how sloppy am I going to allow it to get versus I need to finish the fastest possible. You, you need to have a balance there to get the best performance. There's some conscious intervention as an athlete that might get you one or two more reps, but yeah. that's it. Yeah, like it's it's you know it's over. You're like I can, I can either be really yeah. motivated or I can focus on technique for one or two, mm-hmm. and then that's it. Yeah, like one of the again, like some I think the again the one of the best examples is just handstand walks, right? Like because you can see it so easily if someone kicks up and they're going and it looks good and they're good and good, and then after a while, when as they're nearing fatigue. It's not. It doesn't look like that anymore. It just looks very chunky and clunky. The movement does. It doesn't look very smooth, um, and that and that's your first indication because you can't ask the athlete. You have to watch them. The first indication is that they're probably going to fail soon, is because it's starting to look different. And the reason it looks different is because they're getting extremely fatigued. And the reason it looks different is because there's a reduction in the complexity of the force output. Because if it was if it was a highly complex neuromuscular system like it is in the beginning, it would be a very smooth force output, and it would do exactly as you're asking it to do, as you've trained it to do. And part of the equation as an athlete is like, okay, when do I come down? Because there's a, say there's a minimum distance of yep. 10 feet, and then you come down, and then you have to figure out the equation of how much rest do <laughs> yeah. I need before I can kick up and maintain this for at least 10 more feet, otherwise yeah. it doesn't count. Yeah. Yeah, and it, like, and this is where the training and practice comes in, right? Because you, you have to know how to, you, you have to know yourself, which this is one of our sayings, right? You have to know yourself. You have to know exactly when to come down, when to go up, how fast to go, when to slow down. You just got to know that stuff. Um, so that's kind of like, <clears throat> again, which we've mentioned in a previous podcast, like power duration kind of sets the rules of the road. Like this is how, this is the way the physiologic, this is the way the physiology is going to work. And you have to learn how to work within it, right? And this is where last time, more previous podcast, you talk about like how motivation, perception, effort fits into this. And there's just a little additional aspect of like just the smoothness aspect of the smoothness of the movement being an indication of how fatigued someone is. When you can't, one, you can't measure it. You can only ask them. Um, but again, as a coach, it's just, it's a very interesting concept to, um, that I think, again, if you were just to ask, if you were to show someone who's been coaching someone a long time or coaching an individual a long time, and you showed them like just out of the con- out of context, going like, okay, here's this movement, here's that movement. You would go, well, okay, they're probably really fatigued when they perform that one. How'd you know? Because it looked different. You're like, mm-hmm, yeah, it did. Again, these these are just really like I wait, I said to Tom a couple of days ago. It's just things that are so so close to the surface of your understanding that once someone says it to you, you're like, yeah, that's so true. It's it's it, but it's so it seems so intuitively obvious that once you hear it, you're like, I knew that. <laughs> like. Well, yeah, you didn't know that, but either way, but that's what it is, right? Because uh, it's so intuitive to people. And if you if, if you just show, if, if you were to show um, like an experienced coach these examples of some athlete that they knew, they could probably tell you this. Even just out of context, going like, here's a four-second clip of them here. Here's a four-second clip of them here. You're like, yeah, they're really fatigued in that one. And again, you would go, how do you know that? Uh, because it doesn't look as smooth as the first one. 
No. Okay, so one of the like one of the if you <clears throat> if you understand fatigue uh, well, you're probably lying because it's extremely, <laughs> extremely complex. <laughs> Um, and and kind of like it's not a false dichotomy. I even hate that word. Um, but like what we're talking about here is a lot to do with peripheral fatigue. So it's local to the muscle. So basically, it's not like your brain gets tired, so to speak, and that's why like your movement becomes less smooth. But there is a part to that um, because like there there are some studies again on this from the same group of people uh, where they give uh, they give um, they give people caffeine to take and caffeine is known to reduce central fatigue and it also affects the force output complexity so that's kind of weird um, as to how that works so there's got to be there's got to be some central aspects in terms from the brain and spinal cord as to how this affects uh, the smoothness of movement and obviously it has to be because like that's how practice is done is your brain like your brain learns how to do things and you therefore adjust the neuromuscular output right and you become more coordinated and the movement becomes smoother but then on the peripheral end, um, it's kind of where you kind of resist fatigue. But when you impose a lot of fatigue on a system, most of it's going to ha- occur local to the muscle, which is called peripheral fatigue. Um, the next, uh, yeah, the next podcast we're going to go into, um, yeah, we're going to try to give more examples of actual examples of what we're talking about here. Um, from training examples to just kind of like real world sport examples, which you would probably notice. And, uh, yeah, hopefully it'll make a bit more sense after the next one. Thanks for tuning in. If you like the episode and know someone else that will, please share it with them as it helps to grow our reach. If you haven't done so already, please leave us a review wherever you listen. For questions about topics covered on the show or topics we haven't covered yet, send those questions to spiraloutpodcast at gmail.com. We do read the emails and have some topics that were submitted by listeners and we plan to cover them in the near future. You can follow at optimum underscore performance underscore training on Instagram to find out when new episodes are available. And last but not least, if you guys are in Calgary, come by and check out the gym. We offer individual design as well as personal training for those close by. If you live far, head over to optimumperformancecalgary.com to get information on remote coaching and athlete camps. Catch you guys in two weeks.